Welcome to Grace Community today. We're glad that you joined us today. It's a, our chance to worship Jesus and to love on people. And hopefully by the time you leave today, you will know that we are a group of people that love Jesus. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Um, and by God's grace, he saved me a long time ago. And I've just been given an opportunity to tell other people about this amazing God that truly was resurrected on Easter Sunday. Do you agree with that, those who are Christ followers? And so today is a chance for you to, to hear that story in a, another way. Um, I have great news for you today, by the way. The thing about Easter that's so different is it goes against everything that we know. Everything that we, we try to do, we try to earn our way up. We try to climb the ladder. We try to, to perform. We try to be as good as we can be so we can get the best position. So we live in a society that says earn, step, step on, build your way up so that you can become someone. Yet Christianity and being Christ followers goes backwards. It's really a radical way to follow someone. It goes against everything that we know. I mean, all of us in all levels, whether it's work, recreation, or sports, the better we get, the more opportunity we get to perform, or the greater opportunity we get to perform. Yet when Easter is, is opened up, it's completely opposite of that. It goes against everything that's been inbred in us, everything that our, that our parents have taught us, everything that the marketplace says you must do. Because if I could sum up Easter, I would sum it up this way. Jesus did the work, we get the paycheck. He went to the cross, he, he resurrected from the tomb, he carried our pain, our shame, our guilt, put it on the cross, he did the work, but we're the beneficiaries of his work, we get the paycheck. Is that good news today? That's great news today. And it's not meant to stop with us. Now, let me try to explain that to try to play that out into scenarios today. Think about this. You found a new job. Like, this is the one that you've been wanting to, to like, you've been searching, you've been praying, you've been on your knees, God, God, give me this job. And like, finally, you locate this job and you go through the interview process and, and they, they say, we want you to start on Monday. So you go and get ready for this job. Maybe you gotta go out and buy new clothes. Maybe you gotta buy tools. Maybe you gotta buy welding equipment. Maybe you have to buy, 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 buy skill saws. Maybe, maybe you gotta buy tools to teach. Whatever it is, it's your job, it's your chance. And all week long, you're thinking, I can't wait to Monday. I know I gotta go and perform. I gotta show them that I'm the woman, that I'm the man for this job. So all week long, all these things that your dad and your mom and your friends and your teachers and your coaches have been telling you, perform well, work hard, do your very best. And so you walk into this dream job that, that you've been waiting for, for for most of your life. And when you walk in the door, there's your boss. There's the employer. He's standing at the door and you're like, oh boy, you mean he's there every day when I come? Like, I'm not sure I want this job. But as you walk in the door, he reaches in his back pocket and he hands you this paycheck. And he says, good to have you on the team. Here's the paycheck for the next five years and you don't have to do anything to earn it. How many of you would sign up for that job? Oh, come on, all of you would, quit lying. All of you would sign up for that job. You mean, I don't have to do anything to, to earn this pay? No, no, just, we're glad you're on the team. Here's the paycheck for the next five years. Or. In this scenario, a student, in my case, walks into my class and I teach at Grace College. And, 
And it's the first day of class, and, and I go work through the syllabus with them. I show them test, quiz, and I show them final project and final exam, and, and I show them what the homework assignments are, and then I, then I lay it out. This is what we're going to study in Scripture interpretation this semester. And, and so they're sitting there thinking, wow, that's a lot. Then I show them the grade scale, like to get an A, it's this. And, and so as I, I'm, I'm walking through that, and we go through it all, and then I said, hey, by the way, I want to let all 36 of you know, that's somebody's in my class, I want to let all 36 of you know this. Everyone gets an A. You don't have to worry about what test grade is. You don't have to worry about your quiz grade or how you're doing your homework. How many of you signed up for that class? Oh, come on. Get your hands up. You all signed up for that class. I'd sign up for it. Or how about you're trying out for your high school football team? And all summer long, I mean, you've been hitting the weights. And, man, you've been drinking the protein shakes. And you've been going to the 5-on-5s and 7-on-7s. And and you've been reading the playbook. And you want to... It's, it's, it's your first year on the high school team, and you want to show up, and you want to show that, man, you can hit, and, or, or you can run, or you can catch, or you can throw. And, and so you've worked your skill package all summer long. So it's the first day of school, and you're walking through your high school, and you see the coach down the hallway. He's a teacher, and, and he, he's, he points at you, and he says, hey, come here. And so you walk down the hallway. It's your first day. You've never went out for the team yet. And he says, by the way, I just want to let you know I'm making you the team captain, and you're going to be the starting quarterback. How many... And, and by the way, you don't even have to show me what you got. You're already in. I mean, I'd sign up for that team. They wouldn't be any good, but I'd sign up for it. <laughs> or how about this for single dudes in this room? You're single. And every night you've been praying, God, I pray that you'll put someone in my path that, you know, the one, you know, you know what she looks like. I pray that she's chasing after Jesus. I got a Bible and I got a job and I'm ready. And so, God, I pray you'll bring this woman who loves Jesus, too. And when I'm running after Jesus as fast as I can, I keep looking. There's this other girl who's chasing after Jesus at the same speed I'm chasing. And I finally, I get to stop and introduce myself to her. It's like, God, can you put, and you know who it is. Like, and, and maybe right now, maybe you're looking down. Hey, I haven't seen you before. And she's here today. It's like, <laughs> I think we've got a chance. <laughs> but suppose that person's out there and, and you want to meet them, and it's like, you know, you know who it is, you're a single dude, and so finally, it's like, you're in this room, and your hands are getting all sweaty, because you got to talk now to them, it's like, oh boy, and it's, you didn't realize it would be this hard, and, and as, you're, as you're standing around her, she, she comes near you, and, 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 and she just looks at you, she says, I do, and then you get married. <laughs> would that just be awesome? It just doesn't make sense, does it? Can you imagine all those crazy scenarios ever taking place? They seem absurd, don't they? The reward becomes before you work. You get what you want without having to do anything for it. You want to be a Christian because you've heard about this Christ and you've observed this life. It's like, man, I watched what Jesus did in that man's life. And wow, I watched what Jesus did to her life or my son and daughter's life or my son keeps telling me you got to come to church there's you, you know and you know that something's different it's like and then you see him praying and you see him having joy in the midst of struggle or her having joy in the midst of the struggle and and so you've been watching from a distance like oh that's grace community church that's those weird people they got to be weird they just keep driving they got policemen out there to help them in and they must they must have to pay them to go there or something it's like and so you maybe this is your first sunday in you say okay i'm just checking it out and then you begin to hear things like there's benefits to following Christ and there's blessings and there's power that comes because this God lives inside of you. And, and before you do one good deed, 
before you obey one commandment, Jesus says to you, I do. That's exactly what Christ has done. That's exactly what he's done. Jesus went to the cross, took your sins and my sins, put them on the cross, and died for them. He earned our paycheck. He, 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 he did the work. And we get the paycheck. And, and it would be, be awesome if you really believe that. Because when you do believe that and understand that, it's an incredible gift from God. It's free. It's by grace that we receive it. And so Jesus has done the work. And, and so if you would see a check, it would say something like this. Pay the order to God the Father. 100% of all debt paid in full for eternity, signed by Jesus Christ and his blood. That's Easter in a nutshell. Is that good or what? That's what Easter is. God did the work. We get the paycheck. Before we ever do any, no, no, you mean, Jim, I, I don't have to get all cleaned up. You mean, Jim, that, like, like I heard people say to this lot, and it's, it's a sincere desire. Like, I'm just not ready, Pastor Jim. I'm just not ready to give my life to Christ. Like, I'm not in a good spot. I, you know, you don't realize how, what I do when I'm, when I'm all by myself. You don't realize how I'm hooked on pornography. You don't realize how, how I like to gossip. You don't realize that I was in a adulterous relationship. You don't realize that, that, that I embezzled money. You don't realize, you don't realize, you don't realize. Like, when I get cleaned up, then I know that God, listen. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in the armpit of sin. He said, I do. You see, that doesn't make sense in our world. But that's the sense that's made on the cross and the resurrection in the tomb. Oh, man, if you get this today, it'll radically, Christ followers, am I right? Will it radically change your life? It'll radically change your life. That's why this news is, you know, you won't find this on the Internet. You can search and search and search and Google and Google and Google and bing and bing and bing, but you'll never find this. This is a new and radical free gift that works backwards. Instead of earning, you receive a free gift that Jesus already earned for us. Grab your Bibles and I'm going to show you. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. We'd be glad ushers will put one in your hand. Turn to Romans chapter 8. And if you're new to grace today or you're not familiar with the Bible, turn to the table of contents and you'll see Old Testament and New Testament. And you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Open to the middle of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. And turn to Romans chapter 8. We'll see how good this really is, this, this gift, this claim check that's available for us. And when you find Romans chapter 8, would you stand with me? We're going to read it together. Romans 8 verses 31 to 39. Romans 8 verses 31 to 39. Paul wrote this book, and he, he was trying to describe what and who and what's available to us once we, we, we go and claim that gift, that paycheck that Christ has earned. And so read this with me out loud, Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. Ready, read. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. 
Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I have an amen to that? You may have a seat. His love, Paul is saying, and through the word, is unmatched by anyone. You won't find that kind of love in an earthly relationship. You won't find it from your mother, your father, from your brother, sister, from a husband or wife. You won't find it from a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You will not find that unconditional love. Now, you might have moments where it's really good, but with Christ, the love never changes. It's consistent. Few times in my life have I ever been stopped in my tracks by love like this. Where else, seriously, in this world would you ever find someone that would be willing to pay you and, and, and die for you, knowing that you could never pay him back, that you might reject him and run away for a season of life, that you would never give up on them, that, 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 that this person that you would die for would have periods of time that they wouldn't be grateful for what you've done. Where in the world would you find any place like that and anyone like that other than through Jesus Christ? And by the way, wouldn't you think like the, the culmination of the coronation of our king, like we knew Jesus is king and, and like the, the culmination of that was Easter. Like he went to the cross on Good Friday and the culmination is Easter morning because there have been a lot of deaths on a cross in our lives, but there's only one empty tomb. And if you go to this empty tomb, it's where Christ was resurrected. But what coronation of a king would include death? You would think it'd be like, well, let's, let's hold him up. Let's, let's, let's walk him, carry him on our shoulders. And this is King Jesus. Who would think that he would go to a cross? What God humbles himself to the point of the death and for the joy set before him died on the cross? No God, but our God. He came to serve and to seek those that were lost. And you would think the coronation would include just something completely different. Paul's trying to describe how good this is in verse 31. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If you wonder if God is for you, just, just take a look at the cross. Just, just, just pause. Just, just, just stand in, 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 in front of it and say, what person would ever give their life for me? And I never did one good thing to receive it. Seriously, where can you find that kind of love? That unkind, conditional love that would die for people who couldn't do anything good to ever earn it. Our God is a king. He's a God who rules by battling for us even though we do nothing good to earn it. And then Paul says, no foe could ever stand against us. Not only does he die for us, not only was he resurrected and alive today, but he battles for us. He covers our six. He's with us wherever we go. His presence, no matter, you can go to the deepest place, you can go to the farthest place, you could run to the other side of the world. I have flown around the world, and every time I fly around the world, guess what? Jesus never leaves me. He's everywhere. 
He never leaves you nor forsake you. Where can you find that kind of friendship? Man, you might like have a moment with your wife or your husband where, man, it just feels really, really close, but they can't go with you wherever you go. He's a great God. He's King Jesus. And sometimes we lose sight of the king that rules. Isaiah tried to describe it for us, this king, this God that we have, that we serve. And he tried, he, Isaiah had this snapshot of heaven. And as he looked in heaven, he, he got a snapshot of who God was. And he tried to describe God. And I'm going to try to do that today. Hold your finger here and turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And look, look how he describes God. Isaiah chapter 6 in the Old Testament. He tries to describe our king, King God, King Jesus. Three and one. He tries to describe them. And he says this in Isaiah chapter 6 and verses 1 through 3. He said this. In the year that King Uzziah died, a physical man, he served for 52 years. Isaiah said, after King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and he was what and what? High and exalted. He was what on the throne? Seated on the throne. And the what of his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe filled the temple. Look at that again. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling, look what they says, not out, but to one another. And what are the three words that they called out? Read it with me. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then it says this in verse 4. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. In other words, when they said, holy, 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 it was like a rumbling in the temple. This is God, high and lifted up, exalted above. And the angels couldn't even look at it because he's holy. God is holy. And it says that they, they covered their faces and they covered their feet. And with their wings, they, they, they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then it says this. It says, above him were seraphim and, 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 and two wings. And, and they were calling to him. And it says that he is seated. God is seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You know, when I think about God, you know, our God doesn't, like, get stressed out. Like, he doesn't, like, look at your situation and think, boy, that's a doozy. I don't know what I'm going to do with that one. God doesn't, like, sit in heaven and kind of, like, wipe his brow and wipe the sweat off his brow and say, Jesus, that was a hard day. Oh, man, it's just, he, he doesn't have moments where, like, they check his blood pressure. He's got his blood pressure, his spirit. He, he doesn't have moments where he's tense. He doesn't have moments where he's stressed. I, I just picture God just seated in the throne, and these angels are just crying out, holy, holy, holy. He's holding the whole world together, Colossians tells us, with his hands. And with his pinky, he's saying, oh, there's Jim, let me help him. Hey, give me another iced tea. It's not like he's, he's stressed out. I mean, that's the God that we serve. It's not like it, Bible says in Psalms that he never slumbers nor sleeps. It's like he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's never tired. And so when we go to him with our, with our, with our questions and we go to him with our, with our problems, it's not like he's like, oh, I can't handle this. No, he's not stressed out at all. And it just says he's seated in the throne. I picture him with his feet up and he's just kind of like ruling the world. Powerful imagery here. 
And then it says this, the train of his robe fills the temple. The robe and the train is a symbol of splendor, of majesty, of power. And so in our day, the longer the train, like some of you have, had, have, been, to, have been married, wives, and, and many of us have been to weddings, and sometimes we see wedding gowns that like have a train, and it's like sometimes they're like three feet long. And so the bridesmaid or, or the maid of honor or matron or whomever you want to call it, she comes up and she kind of helps the, 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 the bride and kind of moves it around. You know, I've never had one that was like, you know, it filled the room. It's like, it's like here she comes and she's standing there. But it says here, the train of the robe fills the temple. Do you realize that when Queen Elizabeth at her coronation in 1953 in June 2nd, it says that in Westminster Abbey that her train was so long that when she walked through Westminster Abbey that it filled Westminster Abbey. And some even exaggerated, said it even went out the back door. Take a look at that this afternoon. I, I, I looked at it this week. It's, it's like 12 feet wide and, and it's almost 20 feet long. As she walked, it was like, man, this thing was behind her. <laughs> she filled the Westminster Abbey. But it says, the train of the robe of our God fills the temple. It's not like it's just like down the hallway and out the door. It's like, it's like down the hallway and out the door and, and through every aisle, across your lap and across that lap and across that lap and across that lap and across that lap. And it's piling up. It's like it fills the temple. It's like if you walked in, you'd have to go like this. It's a symbol of his power. It's a symbol of his majesty. It's like, and the angels are trying to fly through all this. And it says he's seated there in the train of his robe. He's holy, holy, holy. Isaiah's trying to describe, it's like, this God is incredible. And that's the God that can be your God. That's the God that Colossians says holds the things together with his hands, the whole world. That's the God that doesn't have one drop of sweat on his forehead. And then it says this, that the angels... They cry out, holy, holy, holy. If you look that in the Hebrew, it's a Hebrew idiom. It means, they could have just said they cry out holy. But in Hebrew, there's a way in, in, in the language to say something that has a repetitive force. So if you look at this in the, in, in the Hebrew, in the original language, it's like, it, 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 it shows strength and it shows reputation. Instead of just saying God is holy, it's like, God is holy. He's holy. He's, 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 he's holy. And so all day long, they're, 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 they're shouting out, it's the idiom, not only was he holy, but holy, holy, holy. It'd be like us, you know, it'd be like me, like uh, trying to describe, if we were to have, if we talk with idioms, and we do, by the way. It's like if I was trying to think of one of the sweet rides I used to have before I got married, you know, like 73 Nova, 75 Camaros, and I got married and get minivans with jujubes in the seats. It's like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm okay with that, not complain at all. But I remember the days I used to take my, my, my toothbrush and clean the white letter raised tires on my good years. Some of you guys understand. It sounds horrible. Man, was it fun. Just Kragers and dual exhaust. And so I would look at that car and I'd say, now that's a car. No, that's a car. And if you're with your buddies, and they, they come in, now that's a car. It's car, <laughs> car, car. Or when you see a beautiful sunset, 
in our day, it's like, okay, how many pictures on Facebook will appear of that sunset? It's like, sunset? Woo! Sunset? Now that's a sunset. Or it'd be like me trying to describe my wife. Like, I look at Ann and I'd say, now she's hot. No, 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 no. She is, she is steaming hot. She is so hot when I touch her that, that I burn. I hope you don't feel that way, Wilder Wayne. <laughs> so when the angels are looking, they're, they're, they're like, holy. No, 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 no. Holy. No, no, you help me. Help me, help me. One, two, three. Holy. And all day long, our God. Now that God decided that he would love us enough to send his son and die on a cross, and then offer us a paycheck that Jesus had to do all the work for. Why would a God that's that holy? I mean, I can't compute that. I mean, I, I can't even register that in my mind. It's like, why? It all comes back to he loves us. You see, you won't find that kind of love anywhere other than in Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 32 of Romans chapter 8, look, look what it says in verse 32 of Romans chapter 8. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In other words, he's already given you his son. Why wouldn't he give you more? Like, I mean, what more can you give than say, here, go down across this morning. Today's my younger son's uh, birthday. He's, uh, he's 15. Isaiah, loving the pieces. Freshman at Fairfield High School. And this morning before I left, I get up early on Sundays, obviously. And, and I, do, I don't want, like, I want to celebrate Easter, but I don't want to miss out on celebrating my son's birthday either. Because he's my son, and I, whom I'm well pleased. So I went into his room, he's still sleeping, and any 15-year-old is sleeping on Sunday morning when I was up. And I walked in, and you know, there he is. He's grown. He's going through that growth spurt, and I love him dearly. He loves Jesus dearly. So do my other kids. And I went in there, and he's laying there, and I just pat him on the butt, and <laughs> you understand that. And reached down and gave him a kiss on the cheek, and I said, happy birthday, Isaiah. I love you, bud. I'm so proud to call you my son. Kind of startled him. <laughs> And he said back to me, and I love you too, Dad. As I was leaving the room, getting ready to come here, I was thinking about the cross and thinking I couldn't send my son to the cross. Just couldn't do it. I was thinking what it was like for God when he said, Jesus, you're my only begotten son, and there's a world that's has insufficient funds because of the debt of sin in their lives, and someone's got to go rescue them. And 
I just can't imagine that encounter. You know, we read it, and we, sometimes we don't feel the emotion, but can you imagine that encounter they had before the foundation of the world when that decision was made, and they, they all were in agreement with it, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and they realized there was this world that was going to be created with these sinful people that needed a redeemer that would have debt piled up because of sin, and they, they, they couldn't be saved. And, and so they're having this conversation, and in the hallways of heaven, can you imagine for the first time when the word death appeared in the hallways of heaven? They had never heard of death. And then God the Father said, I'm willing to give my son who will do all the work so that your checkbook of debt of sin can be reconciled and declared righteous because of Jesus. See, Jesus knew that we can never get out of the hole of our own sin. There is nothing we could ever do to wipe the slate clean because we're overdrawn on our accounts because of our sin. We have insufficient funds. Our checks will bounce if they try to make payment towards sin. And, and so there's no way that we could ever, ever pay back or be good enough. You see, one sin separates us from a holy God. There's no one walking into a temple where the train of his robe fills the temple with holiness. There's no human being that could get within a zillion feet of that room because of any sin. Just one sin would separate us. But Jesus said, I want them with me. We are bankrupt and there's no amount of time that we could ever have to make up for our sin. Jesus came at Easter to reconcile our checkbooks of all the sin debt. And only a perfect sacrifice could do that. Every check we ever write without Jesus' name on it for eternal life will be stamped insufficient funds. But Jesus paid the debt of our sin by going to the cross and being resurrected in the grave. He overcame death. He moved the funds that we needed to get into our accounts through Jesus Christ. And by the way, the Bible says that he's willing and wanting that none should perish. It's in other words, it's like it doesn't stop with me. Like when I, when, when I gave my life to Christ at, at, as a five-year-old, it's like it didn't stop with me. It's like there's still more checks out there that, me, that need to be claimed. It's like I claim my check, but there's, there's other people out there that have unclaimed checks. It's like they're available. Imagine having a check that, that, that's for eternity, that have a God that would love you, that will never leave you nor forsake you, neither debt nor heights, nothing can separate you. Imagine having a God by your side. It's available. Jesus said, that's what Easter is. There's this fund that's available. It's a paycheck that's available to you, and all you have to do is receive it. I mean, seriously, just purely logic. Why wouldn't you want that? You know why? Because we have an enemy who is working overtime and opposing you and telling it's not that good. It's a lie. And so all day long you have this battle raging with the lies of the enemy. Yet Jesus said there's more that need to be reached. So I've been processing this message in, for three or four weeks, to be quite frank. And last week during spring break, my wife and my son Isaiah, we went to Florida for vacation and we are on the Gulf Coast side, and we went to see God's Not Dead. And, um, and as I'm seated in this movie, um, I'm sitting in there, and, and there's times I wept in that movie. I laughed. I cried. I was challenged. I was, you know, just all different levels of emotions. And I'm seated in this movie, and the Spirit of God just prompted me, 
and, and, and I just knew it was from God, and I was like, I want to lead someone to Christ. It's like watching that movie, if you don't come out of there and you don't want to share your faith, then you probably slept through it or you might not be saved yourself. And so I'm seated in there, and I, Lord, I just, God, give me an opportunity to lead someone to Christ. I want them to find this, their unclaimed check. And so after I got out of the movie, I, that was fresh in my mind, I asked God that. And so as we were leaving, we went to a Sonic Burger down in Florida. And down in Florida, you drive into the Sonic Burgers, and, and you, all the cars park on the outside, and you have your own monitor that you order from. And so we pulled up, and, and I'm in my, I, my vehicle, and Ann's here, and Isaiah's behind me, and we're ordering, and and we're outside, and, and, and after you order, a waitress or waiter brings your food to you. And so as I'm ordering, I, I, we, we ordered our food. This gentleman on the outside walked around, and he was, he was on the other side of the monitor, and he came to the front of it. So I'm seated here, and I could see him, and, and I saw him. And he said, sir, I said, could you give me something to eat? And, you know, a zillion things can go through your mind in that moment. You can have all the reasons to say no and all the reasons to say yes. And I knew, it's like, it was like the Spirit said, oh, there he is. There he is. And, uh, and my wife immediately reached for money, and I said, I can buy you something, sir. I can buy you something to eat. He said, I have a friend, too. Can you, uh, can you get him something? I said, yes, sir. So I got out of the vehicle and you know, placed the order, and I walked back to where the, the, the main booth is, and, and, and it's outside, and there's a, a stand that's there, monitor that you order on, and the clerks came out, the waiters and waitresses came out of this. There's no sit-down place, and they were ready to push off these guys because, you know, they were vagrants. They were ready to just tell them to get out of here. I said, no, I said, I, I'm okay. I just want to get them something to eat. So I ordered them some food, and after the food was ordered, I began to talk to these guys, and and I began to tell them that there's hope. And I said, you realize, I said, it's not a coincidence that I'm from Indiana, you're from Florida, and that we're standing here at a Sonic. I said, I have some good news for you. I said, there's a God that loves you so much. And I said, he can give you everlasting food. So I'm talking to these guys to shorten this moment. God was working in, in Jose and, there, and, 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 and this other gentleman's life. And as I'm standing there, um, I explained the gospel to him and and so I had already fed him, had already given him, you know, it wasn't like he was doing that to get something. And I said, sir, Jesus loves you. I said, you're all over the place. And I said, you came here, someone dropped you off. I said, have you ever had a friend that would never leave you nor forsake you? And he said, no. He said, Jose's a good friend. I said, but there's an internal friend that will never leave you. And he'll cover your back. And he'll be with you the rest of your life. So I explained salvation to him. And I asked him, I said, uh, would you like to, like, claim your check? Would you like to receive this free gift? Because the Bible says that we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and we believe he was raised from the dead, we will be saved. And he said, yes, sir, I would like to. So I said, then confess with your mouth these words as we pray. So here was this man that, I mean, he smelled. I mean, it was, it was horrible, just, just horrible. I watched this dear, sweet brother who's probably been through hell and back. And I watched God reach down to this man and save his soul. He didn't do one good deed, but he just received his gift. And so I was pretty moved by that. So I reached over and I said, can I give you a hug? And I put my arms around him and the smell was just horrible. It was, it was urine, it was alcohol, and it was, it was you know, the, the road. It was, it was probably laying in the alley somewhere and I just held on to him. He tried to back away, and I wouldn't let him go. 
because I needed to smell that smell again. No, seriously, the smell of sin. Smell that Christ died for. You see, God demonstrated his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I held on to him and I told him, I said, brother, so I love you and so does God. And I reached down and Jose was seated there too. And, I, and Jose stood up and I gave him a hug and same smell. So I went back to my vehicle and told these guys I loved them and Jesus loved them. And I went down and I was beginning to eat and this guy was, he came back and, and I'm seated in my vehicle up front and I noticed he's coming back and he walked over and he stood there and he went like this. He said, thank you. He said, thank you to you too, ma'am. I saw that you reached for the money too. And he looked at my son Isaiah and he said, thank you. And he said, these words that I'll never forget. He said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. You see, God died not only for him and that free gift was for him, but it's available to you. Now think about it. A holy God that they say, holy, holy, holy. Reached down to a man in the armpit of putrid sin and said, Jesus already did the work for you. Here's your paycheck of salvation. Paul's trying to describe it here as best as he can. And he says, whoever bring a charge against us once we take that free gift. I mean, if you go to the courtroom, Satan is always trying to accuse us. It's like all day long, Scripture says, is Satan goes before Jesus. Hey, Jim did this. Hey, Jim did that. Hey, Jim's back at it. And Jesus all day long intercedes, and Jesus comes right back at him and says, Hey, covered by my blood, covered by my blood, covered by my blood, covered by my blood, declared righteous, righteous, righteous. All day long. And I didn't do anything at all other than I'll take that free gift of grace from a God who is holy, holy, holy. And then Paul didn't stop there. He, tried, you know, he speaks my language and kind of like the warrior in me. And I, when I read this, like, oh, 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 get out of my way. Look what it says in verse 32. And, and, and he said, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. In verse 33, who will bring any charge against us. And then in verse, look at verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns us? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised from the dead, who shall separate us, nothing, nothing. And then, and then, and then he says this in verse 37. He keeps building, like it just keeps getting better. It's like, seriously? Yeah, yeah, seriously. Read verse 37. Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than what? No, 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 we are more than what? No, 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 no. We are more than what? Conquerors. Now, when you read that, come on, come on, dudes. When you hear that, what's like, all right, come on, bring it on. And Jesus, bring it on. Come on, Satan, bring it on, because <laughs> I'm more than a conqueror. So what's more than a conqueror mean? Well, a conqueror, singular, is you win because of what you do. More than a conqueror, you win because of what's already been done for you. Conqueror wins on one level. More than a conqueror wins on every level. Well, let me demonstrate. Think of the best basketball player that you can think of in your lifetime, like the greatest basketball player in your lifetime. Who's the name? Just what are some names? 
Michael Jordan. Let's just go with Michael Jordan. You might argue with that, and you might have a good argument. But let's just go with Michael Jordan. He conquered basketball, didn't he? Like, like he was so competitive. He had the skill package. He had the mental package. Like, he had a will to win, and he won all kinds of championships with the Bulls. I mean, he has game. I mean, he conquered on that level. And let me ask you this. How do you do in baseball? <laughs> not so good, huh? See, he's not more than a conqueror. He conquered baseball or basketball, but you ever see him play baseball? I mean, he even tried to buy the bus to make it better. Like, the team that he was on, they had this, this $150,000 bus, and the rest of them were riding in school buses to the minor league games. Like, here comes Jordan, but he, can't, he doesn't have any game. A conqueror conquers on one level more than a conqueror who are Christ followers. Listen, and you know why we conquer? Because Christ does the work through us. It means this, that it's never completely over. No situation that you face that God wants to see through is not over. No marriage that's on the rocks that might, the husband might have just walked away for a while. The wife might have walked away. Listen, there might be adultery. There might be something that's like, people might look at it and say, that'll never work. Listen, through Christ, you are more than a conqueror. You got hope. It's never over if Jesus is in it. Never. That relationship, that child that's run away from God, that's far from God, that seems like, man, they're on their own path. Listen, it's not over. It's not over. If mama and papa are still praying, you're more than a conqueror, and your prayers can make a difference in that wayward son or daughter. That's the hope that we have when we're more than conquerors. So Paul's trying to describe it. It's like, oh, man. So I think about that. That's, that's who we are. We are more than conquerors. Not only that, we are seated with Christ. So Paul describes it even better. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1 quickly. This, 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 this just gets really, really good. Like I'm ready to scale this wall behind me and just, just it, it brings out just Jesus' adrenaline and, and power that's living inside of me. Look, look at Ephesians. Paul also says this in Ephesians. Look at chapter 1. Look at verse 18. Once we have this relationship, you see this. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of this glorious inheritance and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. In other words, once he was risen from the dead, he's seated in heaven. And then look at the picture. This is how he's seated, verse 21. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And then verse 22, this is where Jesus is seated in heaven. And God placed how much under his feet? What's it say? All things under his feet. And pointed him to be head over everything, which is the body and the fullness of him. So right now, Jesus, it says that he's seated. Remember where he's seated? He's seated in the throne where the train of the robe is filling the temple. And angels all day long are saying, holy, holy, holy. Jesus is seated there with the three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it says that his feet are above every power, every authority. It's like he can trample the world. His position is high and lifted up. Now that is where you want to sit. I mean, you make decisions from there, don't you? I mean, you can't go any higher than that. No one's going to trump that decision. But here's good news. Guess who else is <laughs> seated there? Look at, look, at, look at chapter 2. 
Look at verse 6. Then Paul says about us when we trust Christ. Verse 6, he says, And God raised who up? Us up with Christ and seated us with who? In the, with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In other words, the reason that we're seated here is because God did the work, we get the paycheck, and if we tried to earn our way, we would boast about it. But here's the picture. Positionally, right now, just if you ever have a day like you wonder, like, I feel kind of weak today, you know, man, I don't feel so good. Like, I don't feel very powerful. I just want you to give this image. Just picture yourself once you got saved, positionally. Once you took that free gift, and I took it a long time ago, you just entered heaven. And so you're coming down the streets of heaven, and you're getting ready to go into this throne room, and you're trying to work your way through the robe. And Jesus says, hey, come here. And, and, and so as you're walking up, you see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You think, wow. And the Bible says that, that Christ, we're seated with him right now. And so as you're walking your way up, God kind of, he, he moves over and, and, and he says this to you. Hey, hey, Jimmy, hey. And you work your way over into this holy throne room. And he asks you to sit down. He says, what do you see, Jim? Well, let me hold on first. Woo! Way down there. There's, there's earth, and there's like the Milky Way. And there is Satan and his demons. <laughs> and he says, Jim, where are you seated? I'm seated high, way above. He says, what do you see? I see everything. Oh, there's Satan. And he says, Jim. Where are your feet? <laughs> On top of Satan, way down there. And then I realize something that just blows me away. I look over, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's a train of the robe, there's seraphim. And I look at my feet, and they dangle with Jesus' feet. <laughs> Come on, your feet are dangling with Jesus' feet. Now, let me, in that moment, do you feel powerful? And why do you feel powerful? Because you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, far above all angels, all evil angels, everything. And you are seated with Christ. Now, listen to me. That's where you are seated when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So that means right now, I mean, it might be hard for you to imagine that, but your feet dangle with King Jesus' feet, not based on anything that you did, but everything that he did. Now, is that too good to be true? Life with Jesus is worth grasping. 
I walked into a pawn shop when I was in Florida. My son likes to go to pawn shops, and I do too. <laughs> and uh, we're in Fort Myers, and uh, so I've been thinking about, you know, this, this seated position that I have in Christ, and as I'm walking into this pawn shop, uh, I noticed on the wall over there in Fort Myers, there's, there's this wall that had all kinds of guitars. Just my son Josh plays, and my daughter Hannah plays, and, you know, they're, they're working to become better at it, and... And so, and you know, I, I share offices with Jeremiah and Jeremy, and they're, man, they're, I love hearing them play in the offices. And so I, I saw this wall, but I'm thinking, I want to see who else is out there that needs Christ. So I'm walking this room, maybe think I'd find something. I walked in, I saw this gentleman from a distance, and I walked over, and I, I noticed he was over looking at guitars. So I just went over and started a conversation with him, just like, hey, what are you looking for? And he says, you know, I, I, was, I, I was at another pond shop and there was an Albanez there. And he said, I like this one here. It's acoustic and it has, a, it has amplification. And I noticed that he had this hat on that said Vietnam vet. I looked at this dear brother and I said this to him. I said, sir, thank you for serving our country. He said, thank you. I said, what you did probably went underappreciated, but I want to let you know that I am very appreciative that you served our country in Vietnam. I'm standing in front of these guitars. This man just starts weeping. Just tears running down his face. He takes off his glasses and begins to wipe his glasses. And I said, sir, I, I just want you to know that I'm grateful that you served. And so I begin to ask him, I said, um, tell me about your time there. What, what was it like for you? And he began to share some things. And let me tell you something, sir. I said, nine years ago, I went on a team with some other guys, and there were four Vietnam vets with me, and we went into Vietnam, and we were just exploring, trying to reach, find people of peace, and maybe plant some churches. And I said, it was their first time back. And I said, when we went there, and I began to tell them the story of me being in Vietnam, and I said, here's what I know, sir. You probably don't know this, but this is what I know. I said, you remember all those South Vietnamese kids that, that you sang songs to and they learned all the BG songs and, and you, you taught them English and you taught them songs? Guess what? They're all grown up now and I met them nine years ago. And I said, I was in the house of a doctor who was a Vietnamese child, South Vietnamese. And I said, he's now a doctor in that country. And you know what? We went to his home and we sang karaoke songs that you taught them. I said, let me also tell you this. I talked to many South Vietnamese, and here's what they told me. They are so grateful for the American GIs that came over them that gave them hope that someone was willing to cover their back and protect them. Guys just starts weeping, just, just weeping. I said, I want to thank you for offering hope to a country that was hopeless. It's amazing how God takes the choices of our lives and the patterns of our lives and lines them up for moments like that. That's why I always encourage you, listen, try all kinds of different things. You might not like sports, you might not like archery, you might not like this, but listen, try it just to have a, a common ground. So I'm talking to this man, and I began to talk to him about Jesus Christ, and I said, Jesus loves you too. I said, by the way, where are you from, sir? He said, you know, I'm from um, Muskegon, Michigan. I said, where's your wife from? She's from LaGrange County, Indiana. <laughs> so you're not going to believe this. I said, I'm from uh, Goshen, Indiana. And I said this to him as we were standing there as I presented the gospel to him. I said, it's not a coincidence that I on vacation in Fort Myers, Florida, and we just happened to come into a pawn shop, and your wife's from LaGrange, Indiana, and I'm from Goshen, and I went to Vietnam, and you served in Vietnam, and I, it's not a coincidence. I said, God wants me to tell you that he loves you deeply. I shook this man's hand, and as we left, he gripped it tightly, and we even took a selfie together. It was just like... <laughs> You see, 
God is willing and wanting that none should perish. And he'll send someone on vacation to Fort Myers, Florida, if they're open and willing, and he'll allow them to have a conversation because, listen, he did all the work, and he wants you to receive the benefits of that. So where does that leave us today? You see, some of you in this room still have unclaimed funds that will cover the debt of your sin. The Bible tells us this way in Romans 3.23. It says, for we all have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. In other words, there's no way that we could ever do anything to get to God because of our sin debt, because of the insufficient funds. And so Jesus came and he bridged the gap on the cross. He took and became the perfect sacrifice that would cancel our debt, that would say you are paid in full. And he did it at our very worst. And it says, because of sin, the wages of sin is death to those unless they receive this free gift. And then Paul goes on to say this. He says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe he was raised from the dead on Easter, we will be saved. We claim the check. What's your plan? Like, maybe you got it all together, you think. It's like, Man, I got a great retirement plan. I got a great home. I got, you know, I got a great marriage. What's your plan once you pass? You see, the Bible tells us this, that a man is destined to die once, and then he faces judgment. And on the other side of this life, we have an opportunity to stand before the living God who says the only way that you can get to me is not by what the good things you did on earth, but by receiving this free gift of grace called salvation. See, we don't even have to earn it. So why wouldn't we? Because the enemy wants to tell you something completely different. 47 years ago in a Sunday school classroom, a sweet lady told me this. She says, Jimmy Brown, you see, I come from a divorce broken family and I'm seated in a Sunday school classroom with, and and I have three sisters at the time and my mom was a single mom and we walked into this church for the very first time. And one of the first times I was in there, this sweet lady told me that she said, Jimmy Brown, let me tell you, there's a father God out there that will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, let me tell you, to, to hear that from her after having a dad in that moment feeling like he left me, she, she said, Jimmy Brown, listen, Jimmy Brown, God will never leave you nor forsake you. And she said, it's a free gift. You can't earn it. And all the sin that you'll ever commit, you can't never be good enough. She said, but if you take this free gift of Jesus Christ, he will be with you the rest of your life. Let me tell you, she was right. Because the truth of God's word said that. So in that Sunday school classroom, that musty, stinky, smelling, moss, infected room with flannel graft, Jesus came into that room and saved my soul. And this is the story right here. Now listen, that can be your story. You showed up at Grace Community Church on Sunday morning. Maybe someone invited you. Maybe it's Easter. You think, well, it's probably a good thing if I go to church. Listen, don't leave this room without the hope of Jesus Christ. And listen to, you don't need to clean yourself up. It doesn't matter if you're addicted to porn it doesn't matter if, you, if, 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 you, you, if you're an adulterer. It doesn't matter if you're an embezzler. It doesn't matter if you're a liar or a cheater. Listen, Christ died for that and he can forgive you of all their sin. He already did the work for those sins on the cross. Am I right, Christ followers? He already did it.
Would you pray with me, please? I don't know where you're at in this room, but here's what I know. It's by grace that we're saved. It's Christianity and following Christ isn't a system that you have to earn. Now, once you come to Christ, you, you, you have these works that you do. But if you're in this room and you're saying, man, I need Jesus. This could be the day of salvation for you. This could be the day that you claim the check. We've already had people in our first service come up and just claim that check. And right now, like, 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 like if your heart is like just pounding out of your chest, you're like, man, what's happened? Listen, that's God. He draws you to himself. And he's telling you that he loves you. Please, don't leave this room. Please, don't, please. Unless you can come and realize there's a point in your life where you drove a stake in the ground, where you committed to Jesus Christ. Because if you leave this room and death finds you at some point this week, listen to me, and you don't know Christ, you'll have an eternity away from God in hell. If you want to trust Jesus Christ, which the Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe he was raised from the dead, we will be saved. You want to trust Jesus like I did as a five-year-old? then confess this through prayer with me in the quietness of your heart. Just pray with me. Dear God, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that you were risen from the dead. I acknowledge that it's through you that there's salvation. Please, God, forgive me of my sins. God, forgive me all those sins. I want to make you the Lord and leader of my life, and I will follow you the rest of my life. If you're in this room and you're kind of like, yep, that's me. Or if you're in the link and you're saying, yep, that's me. I'm back here in the corner, and that's Pastor Jim. That's what I need, and I just, I trusted Christ. Well, I got good news. I want you to, to, to do something. Here, when I'm finished praying, I want you, we're going to stand, and I'm going to ask you to come and, and come to the front of the auditorium, and I want you to come to this wall behind me. And I want you to grab a check that has the same writing on it as a reminder that this was the day, April 20 of 2014, that you crossed the line with Jesus Christ. And you allowed him to reconcile the debt in your sin checkbook. So God, I pray that you'll move in this moment. Would you stand with me right now, please? Behind me is a wall. Behind me is a wall that has these small checks on. You can see, we've already had some people that said, that's me. And when you pull this check off, it says paid in full because that's what the cross did. Maybe you're here today with someone. Maybe it's right now, you're, you're, you're looking beside that person. You're saying, hey, you know what? I'll walk with you. I'll walk up there with you. And maybe you're by yourself. Now, I don't need buddy. That's just, that news is good. I'm following Christ. Here I am. Would you come as the worship pastors in both rooms play? Just come to my stage left. You're in the link. Exit out the back. 
Pastor Dan will be out in the hallway. He'll show you how to get in here. But come and grab one of these checks as a reminder. And on the back, there's some good information. You can keep it in your Bible. You can keep it on your desk. But it's a reminder that God will never leave me nor forsake me. I encourage you, come. Don't sit there. If you trusted Christ, just come.